Welcome to It Starts at Birth, a podcast dedicated to empowering women through insightful conversations. My name is Faith Flat, and joining me on today's podcast is my husband, Mark Flat, and we're excited to share some of the lessons we've learned along the way in our first two pregnancies, and now that we're currently dealing with in our third pregnancy. We do this podcast every day, and our goal is to help people who are having to make the same decisions as we are making Um, Give them the insight and the research that we find along the way. We understand that there are so many decisions that go into um, picking the right provider and different things like that. And our goal is just simply to share all the information that we find. Anything that could help you, that's what we're all about here. Which brings us into our topic of conversation for this episode. Today we're talking about whose business is birth. In the United States, women get to own certain portions of the pregnancy and birth journey. Consumerism is something that's really pushed on pregnant women. Buying the right clothes for themselves when they're pregnant, the right products, getting everything ready for the nursery. Additionally, women really get the opportunity and are embraced when they share those cute belly pictures. This is all really good. Um, and fine, but it's not the most important part about the birthing journey. When it comes to the actual work of birth, that's really a lot of times kind of taken away from us as women. And you have to leave everything up to your healthcare professional. It's good to have a healthcare professional. It's good to be able to run questions by them. But when everything that's a serious matter comes up in this country, or you've got a topic of conversation that you're curious about, everything always points back to going to your medical professional, getting their advice, and women's instinct and charisma is really left out of the birthing process in many ways. So what I really want to talk about is that, that at the end of the day, Women lose their empowerment through the end process of how they give birth because this is really a business in the United States. Women get sent the bill or families get sent the bill at the end of the day and the empowerment aspect is lost. So today we're really going to focus in on whose business is birth and as we've discussed in past episodes, um, 98% of women birth at hospitals. So it's primarily a question in this country of how does the medical industry treat birth in the United States? And we know on an outside note, if you're just talking about the medical industry in the United States, um, and it's not in regards to birth, um, we know that there are a lot of issues in general in our healthcare system. Uh, There was a recent piece done by Stanford Medicine just talking about insurance policy, and a couple of quotes from that were that the U.S. spends considerably more than the world's average on health care, and the U.S. spends twice what other countries do on health care, in fact. So I want to dive into how that kind of generalization of health care in the United States ends up affecting that 98% of women who end up birthing their babies at hospitals. We're going to do that today by talking about the average price that it costs to give birth in the U.S., 
what the medical industry gets out of that pricing and what type of industry they've created for themselves. What we as women and families are getting in return will be the final point that we discuss on today's podcast. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us for It Starts at Birth. So today we're discussing whose business is birth in the United States. And the first point I want to walk th- walk you through and some of the information I found was just the average price to give birth in the U.S. Um, these are some numbers that I did share on the most recent podcast, uh, but I wanted to cover them again in light of the topic of conversation today. And the out-of-pocket price for families giving birth in the United States, if you have insurance, if you're having a uh, C-section birth or a vaginal birth, usually ends up up being about $3,400. And if you're um, uninsured and you have a C-section at a hospital, it'll end up costing you $50,000. Or for a vaginal birth, it's about $30,000. Midwives, on the other hand, um, their prices range depending on where you live in the United States, um, or actually they average about two to four thousand dollars across the U.S. And it can be a little less; it can be um, significantly more depending on the state that you're in. So those are kind of the average prices throughout the United States. And on some of our prior episodes, we talk about um, the questions you need to ask um, both uh, OBGYN. And um, your midwife, if that's the way you choose to go about having um, as your primary care provider. So I think this is a great um, baseline to understand with and without insurance, the expected cost if you go through the OBGYN or hospital um, traditional, as they call it now. But even though we've discussed in prior episodes, it's not really the traditional. It's just more along the lines of the most common here in the United States. So that's kind of the general pricing in the country. And the question there, seeing that, um, as Mark said, it's most common for women to end up birthing at the hospital, um, the question then becomes, well, what is the medical industry getting out of those fees? What are women paying for ultimately? And when you look at the fact that Um, The number of vaginal deliveries in the United States, according to the CDC, sits at um, just over 2.5 million every year. And the number of cesarean deliveries every year is just over a million, um, with a full percentage of cesareans at about 31%. Um, You can deduct... On a really, really um, lenient level and on the low side, that this is truly a billion-dollar industry um, for the medical professionals and that the out-of-pocket take that the industry brings in is $11 billion on the low end. That's if everyone was just paying that $3,400 price point when they were birthing inside of hospitals. So... That kind of brings um, both Mark and I, when we were discussing these numbers, to a point where when you realize this is something that people are making, or the medical industry is bringing in billions of dollars in every year, 
it's really no surprise that um, birthing outside of the hospital is something that's really kind of fought against inside of our culture and uh, specifically not embraced by our medical industry. Why would they want to give that up? I think that also can reasonably kind of point you in the direction of why um, this transformation of birth being something that took place at hospitals um, with doctors started to take place in this country in the first place. Um, There's a a rich history, if you go back um, in time, to understand that like midwives are and have been the preferred um, primary care uh, choice um, of women in the United States and around the world. But when you see that there's multi-billion dollar industry in this, then it kind of gives you a sense that maybe that's why some places like Alabama and other places have all together or as much as they can um, outlawed um, midwife, midwifery and um, licensing of midwives. And so when you can understand that, you know, you just follow the money, then there can be a lot of insight from looking into that. There definitely can be a lot of insight into that. Um, And another really interesting thing that the medical industry as a whole, uh, so this isn't just an attack, um, or this is not an attack on OBGYNs, but this is just a a look at what the medical industry in and of itself is profiting from in this country. Um, One of the numbers that really blew us away about what in terms of what the medical industry is getting out of the business of birth here in the United States, is that um, according to one report that I found, uh, childbirth is the most common cause for inpatient admission in the United States. So again, that's another reason that the medical industry um, wouldn't want to give that up. That's a huge profit center for them. And another statistic that I found, uh, or another report that I found as well, uh, stated that C-sections were one of the most common procedures done in the United States as well. And that is very concerning, um, but it speaks to uh, another problem within the way the medical industry charges families and mothers who are giving birth in that um, those prices I listed before, the $3,400 or the thirty dollars to $50,000 without insurance, doesn't include everything. So if you um, need an ultrasound or you need a C-section, um, it, as is evident with the thirty dollars to $50,000 range, a lot of those things are really upsells for doctors and some doctors do misuse them in that way. Um, some do it just to be safe because they have, um, you know, to kind of cover their ass with the fact that they do have malpractice insurance policies. So they've got to take certain steps to make sure um, that they don't get sued. But at the end of the day, is that really what was needed for the mother, necessary for the baby, and what was best? Um, And all of these types of problems in the medical industry keep jacking the price up and up. And then you get to the point where if you're looking at C-section as um, quite possibly occasionally being an upsell, 
that number that the World Health Organization um, gave as 10% being um, kind of the goal cesarean rate for women really is striking against the fact that here we do have a cesarean rate that's over 30%. And that kind of asks you, well, or it makes you wonder, well, why are those extra 20% of cesareans happening? And should they be? And the reality um, is that um, the World Health Organization states that when the rate goes above 10%, there is no evidence that mortality rates improve. So it's not saving lives. So that makes you wonder, why are we having that large number of cesareans in this country? And does it go back to the business of birth? Does it go back to profitability? I think that really speaks to the core of a lot of what's going on here. In the end, um, there's an assumption that we receive the best health care in the world here in the United States. And that assumption oftentimes leads us to not look a little bit deeper. If, in the end, um, it was we were paying the most and we were receiving the best care, then I think most people would be satisfied with that, understanding that that was the best thing. But if we're not receiving the best care, if we are, um, you know, in the end, receiving some of the worst care in any of the um, wealthy countries in the world, but we're paying the most for that care, that's where it gets very concerning. And once again, if it comes back down to profitability instead of what's best for the mother and the baby, then that is something that we need to consider when we're making our decisions. So we've talked about what the medical industry is getting um, out of these high-priced births. And now I think it is important to look at what are we getting. Because as Mark said, if we had a reputation and the numbers showed that we had the safest, best place to give birth in this country, um, I think a lot of us probably would say it's worth the price tag. But since that's not the case, and I'm going to share some numbers with you that Um, make that really evident, that kind of leaves you in a spot where, again, you want to understand who's making money, what you're getting out of it, and then make the decision that's right for you once you look at all of that information. So in terms of what we as women are getting, um, there are three things I want to look at. or rather what we as families are getting. There are three things I want to look at. And the first is the maternal mortality rate. The second is the maternal morbidity rate. And the third is what our infants get and how they fare in the United States. So first of all, Um, We've already talked a lot about the maternal mortality rate in the United States, that it's very high, that we have 17 deaths per every 100,000 births. And because our death rates are increasing for mothers, that puts us in not the best company when it comes to other uh, wealthy nations in the world. We are one of the few that has a rising maternal mortality rate for mothers. Um, We're right on par with Sudan and Afghanistan. 
And the maternal mortality rate is something that we're going to continue to dive into throughout this podcast. Um, But for this episode, I was just going to briefly reference that number and talk a little bit more about the maternal morbidity rate. And maternal morbidity refers to any physical or mental illness or disability that's directly related to pregnancy and or childbirth. And according to the CDC, severe maternal morbidity is on the rise in the United States. According to the National Institute of Health, severe maternal morbidity affected 50,000 women in the U.S. in 2014, and numbers have nearly doubled in the past decade. Now, those who are most likely to experience um, SMM are those who are the age of 20 or younger, the age of 40 or older, if you're receiving Medicaid, if you're residents of a low-income zip code, And then additionally, your risks are a lot higher depending on the state that you live in, depending on your race. So again, we're running into the same theme that we saw with the maternal mortality rate and that we discussed in previous episodes. Um, We do not seem to have a healthcare system that works equally for everyone in the United States, especially when it comes to birth. I just want to go ahead and add in that all the studies that Faith is referencing, we will provide links in the description so that you can go ahead and read about this on your own. Um, Definitely something that we're trying to make sure we do is give you the information to come to your own conclusions. And so while, while you go, if you have any questions, make sure you take the time to go ahead and click on some of those links, do your own research. This is what we're all about. It's empowering through these conversations, through data. And not just don't please don't take our word for it, because in the end, if you do your own research, then you're going to understand where we're coming from and not just what we're saying. Certainly, the purpose of sharing this information isn't to create fear, but to pass on data and information, uh, certainly as well if you live in a state where the MMR rate is higher that would be something to, that would be good to be aware of. So we're happy to um, provide the information to you that we've been doing our own research on because we are in our own third pregnancy and we're just curious about a lot of this and about the business of birth in the United States. So the last point about um, what we as families and women are getting out of this very expensive birthing process that I wanted to talk about is what our infants are getting. Because I believe most mothers out there uh, would say, well, if the risks are high for me, but everything's okay for my baby, if I know I'm safer to give birth in a hospital because my baby will be safer, I'm going to show up Um, and take that risk on myself and not on my child. One thing that I was very surprised to learn was that um, the United States has some very low rankings when it comes to infant success rate in the United States. There was an article done by the Washington Post, and it's titled, 
our infant mortality rate is a national embarrassment. And I'm just going to give you a couple of quotes from that article. One of the things stated in that was that the United States has a, high, has a higher infant mortality rate than any of the other 27 wealthy countries, according to a new report from the CDC. Despite healthcare spending levels that are significantly higher than any other country in the world, a baby born in the U.S. is less likely to see his first birthday than one born in Hungary, Poland, Slovakia, or Belarus, or in Cuba, for that matter. When you start talking about how our children are faring and how our babies are faring, that is another gut punch, and it makes you wonder why everything is so expensive and it doesn't seem to be paying off for us as families. Yeah, I mean, that's what it's all about right here, is understanding that these decisions and what is going on is not necessarily giving us the best health care. In fact, it really gives us a very dubious level of health care. And that's why when we talk about um, the World Health Organization recommending um, midwife-led childbirth as being the preferred way, this is not just about finances. This is not just about um, empowering uh, midwives. This is about in the end, the care of the mother and the child. And if we don't get the best, but we're paying the most, there's something wrong. And Faith's father is actually a legislator in um, his home state. And as being someone who has insight to how laws are made and who's responsible for making those laws, um, understanding that this type of research and making it available to the people who are responsible for making laws for the people is critical. Um, This is something that can change. There are so many things in our country that we have felt like, well, they've always been that way, but they really haven't been. They've just been that way as long as we can remember. And with new studies and new research coming out that really explains there's an opportunity here for things to change if we are willing to ask the hard questions, if we're willing to take the steps to make those changes, we can get there. But as long as people are afraid to ask the questions, as long as um, the preferred way around the world of midwife-led care is ostracized and people are treated like they're crazy for choosing to do what's best for them, there can never be progress. So we need to go ahead and buckle down, look into these studies ourselves, and come to conclusions and decide what is best for you and what is best for other people. Not that we choose what they need to do, but we choose that having options is the right thing. If we can make options, um, multiple options, the, the way that we go forward, then we have the chance to change the tide. And if we can turn the tide, then that's literally talking about saving lives. It's one thing to talk about saving money, but if you can talk about saving lives, then I think that we can all agree that that's a worthwhile conversation. Um, We, as a country, have made seatbelt laws simply because we understood that if people are wearing their seatbelts, then there's a more, there's a much more like, it's it's much more likely that they will survive a car wreck. And the data has proven that when people are in car wrecks, they survive at a much higher rate because of wearing a seatbelt. And they've made it 
to the point where if you're not wearing a seatbelt, you can receive a ticket. But when you talk about this subject, it's like, oh, well, we don't really want to go there. Well, it's time that we go there. In many areas of the medical industry, there is a lot of regulation. And in birth specifically, there's a lot of regulation. And unfortunately, a lot of the regulation that exists exists to limit a woman's choice to choose where and how she gives birth, or at the very least makes it more difficult for her to be able to make the choice and to do it the way that she would like to. Uh, So legislators do play a big part inside of this process and fixing the problem here. And that's something that we do want to dedicate more time state by state um, and talk about what can be done in your local area, what needs to be done nationally to help fix the problem. There are a lot of amazing um, writers out there and minds who are sharing their thoughts and making their opinions known about possible solutions, and we want to highlight a lot of those on this podcast. But one of the most immediate ways to fix this um, problem or to begin to make improvements in this problem is exactly what Mark was referring to and what we discussed on one of our previous episodes, Ending the Stigma of Speaking Out. If this is the state of our country and the business of birth here in the United States, uh, we need to make it easier and more comfortable for women to talk about their negative experiences, um, to talk about the solutions that they're looking into, and to celebrate them for being brave enough to go a different route or to consider a different route and not to place a stigma on them or to pass judgment on them because they're considering stepping outside of the norm when we know that the norm is not working here in the United States. You know, and that's why we're doing this podcast. In the end, I'm incredibly grateful to Faith because she really does so much research every day to make sure that she can be on top of these subjects. Um, This is not just about her or our baby that is going to be born This is about empowering other people who are having to go through the same choice. And I believe that once you look into some of this information, you'll see that it is time that we open up the discussion and we continue to talk about it. Um, We just want to include our voice in that. Um, I, I know this is something that Faith is incredibly passionate about. And in the end, if we can together um, as a community, as a country, look into this and come up with some conclusions. I know um, that we've done that with a number of problems over the last 10, 15, 20 years. And that's really something that this country has shown over its history is the ability to be resilient and to respond to problems. But as long as we ostracize people who choose to make the choice for themselves, we won't be able to get anywhere. So while we go through these subjects, and while we share the research, I hope that you'll do the same research. I hope that you'll take the time to tell a friend about this podcast, about some of the things that you found out. Um, please share it, because our goal is just to you know, include as many people as we can in this conversation. Um, you know, If there's a chance that we could turn these numbers around, and we could start seeing a reduction in um, infant mortality, and mother mortality, um, mother morbidity, 
Um, we want to see those things happen. It's worth the time and it's worth the effort. Time and time again, um, we've seen people who are willing to stand up and speak for what's right. We've seen them be able to change the world. And if we could see those numbers go down, it doesn't matter what it takes. It's worth it. It's worth it. But in the end, it's time that this country um, does you know, some soul searching to understand how we got to where we are, but more importantly, how we're going to get to where we need to be. And, you know, we've talked about this before, but in many other countries, they're willing to talk about what other countries do right, and they're willing to look at that research. But here in the United States, it seems like we're only obsessed with what we do here in the United States. And we want to talk more, not just about as this country as a whole, but we'd like to go state by state and talk about some of the things that are limiting um, choices and really um, creating high-risk care. How can we look into those things and find patterns and turn things around? Because until we do that, the only thing that we can expect is for the numbers to continue to rise. And that is unacceptable. One thought I want to leave you with as well Um if you are perhaps someone who does speak out and does have an alternate opinion about um, different options when it comes to your pregnancy journey and birth and you receive a lot of criticism or maybe you're listening to this and you you know people who speak out and uh, have different opinions that they express, I just want to remind you that the suffragette movement was not a popular movement in the beginning um, worldwide. It was definitely the movement in the minority. But over time, um, women who were brave enough to continue to push an alternate way of thinking and to say we can do better, and the men who joined them in those cause, in, in that cause were able to push a better future um, and make it something so that today, in many ways, we take for granted the fact um, that we have so many rights as women and don't be deterred by the fact that um, the numbers are so bad right now and that there does seem to be a lot of oppression. Be motivated by that. If we can all begin to communicate and speak freely and look at the facts just as they are, then we can turn the tide we can make things better. History shows us that. The power of women's movements shows us that. So get motivated, feel inspired, and um, you know, let people talk freely. Let people share new opinions and embrace them. It was about 100 years ago now that women first gained the right to vote in the United States. And that was through a lot of hard work um, beginning, you know, a very long time ago, but specifically in the 1840s, Seneca Falls, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, um, and a group of women and men, including Frederick Douglass, gathered together, and they put together a very important document, and they laid out the future of what the women's suffrage movement would look like, and none of those women were alive to see the fact that women gained the right to, to vote, but in the end, their efforts paid off, and we are benefiting from those efforts. And while we may not live to see the, these numbers go down, the fact is we're here for the fight because if people are dying and it's unnecessary 
and they're being overcharged for a lack of care, there is something wrong, and we're willing to stand up and fight for that. And that's why we call this It Starts at Birth, because in the end, women's empowerment really does start at birth, and we can do better, we must do better, and we're willing to fight to do better. So thank you so much for um, sharing this uh, last half hour with us of It Starts at Birth. We'll be back tomorrow to cover some more subjects. And thank you so much to Faith because this is something, you know, at this time she works a full job, full-time job. She is, you know, a few months pregnant now. She's, um, you know, this is, this is something she cares deeply about. This is not something she's doing just for herself. Although I think this is something that's been very rewarding for her. In the end, she's doing this so other people can recognize that this information is available if you do it, the research yourself, you're going to come to many of the same conclusions, but you might come to your own conclusions. Where there's no right conclusion on this other than to say that we can look at the rest of the world as an example of the direction we need to go in. And if we do that, we can change lives, we can save lives, and that's what we're doing here. We're trying to turn the tide and adjust how healthcare is provided to women at birth. So thank you so much for joining us for It Starts at Birth. My name is Mark. And my name is Faith. And today we discussed whose business is birth. And I hope that you felt like by the end of this episode that the business of birth should definitely be yours. This is something that we the people need to take into our hands and take charge of. Thank you for joining us today. Join us tomorrow for a fresh episode.